Good morning, everybody. Um, good morning to you fish ponds. It's a shame not to be with you in person, but um, I trust and know that you will have met with Jesus this morning. And I'm really excited to be talking to you today um, from the book of Habakkuk, which we have been looking at for the last few weeks. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jess. Um, I'm married to Ben and I'm on staff here at City Church. And we've got three kids. Noah, Lucy and Joseph, um, who will all be back at Quatham this morning. And I'm really excited today because there is something exciting coming up. Um, this is not going to come as a surprise to anybody. I'm really excited because Christmas is coming. Um, and I absolutely love Christmas. And I imagine at this moment in time across the room, there's going to be um, a mixture of kind of groans and excitement, depending on how old you are and how much responsibility you have in planning for Christmas. But I absolutely love Christmas. And Christmas this year falls on the 25th of December. I'll just wait for that uh, joke to kind of land with you. That was what um, one of our old friends in London always used to say. Uh, Christmas is a fixed point in the year, isn't it? It is always on the 25th of December. And what I love about Christmas is not only is it this fixed point of the year, but I love all the things that go around it. There's so many opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. And there's so many plans to make. There's so many lists to make. And I'm a real list kind of girl. I love making lists and ticking things off. Um, every day I like to kind of tick some things off um, and if I uh, feel like I haven't been able to tick anything off I might just add some things onto the list and then tick them off afterwards and now depending on your personality you may love lists and you may love making plans or you may hate them um, and so I've got a little pop quiz for everybody right now and uh, they will come up I think um, John will have got all of this sorted beforehand and so I just like you don't have to write anything down or, but just to kind of make a note or actually you could do a show of hands um, and so here we go here is this little pop quiz on how you feel about spontaneity and plans so question one as you're leaving work on Friday evening, a friend phones to suggest you take a spontaneous camping trip. Do you A, think, yes, I'm there? Uh, do you B, think, well, I could go if I've been there before because I would like to know um, what it's going to be like? Or C, are you like, no way, my trips take ages to plan. I'm going to need to rearrange my weekly shop. Um, I need to get time off work. I'll have to rearrange my... Uh, television viewing itinerary, I'm going to have to contact the Met office, plan my outfits, that kind of thing. Is that you? Um, okay, question two. Uh, a friend suggests going out to see a film. Do you immediately agree, um, even if it's some random kind of film that wouldn't be your thing? Uh, do you B, say, sure, you'd like to go sometime, but um, maybe when the next Star Wars film comes out. Can you tell my husband wrote that question? Um, in other words, when it's something that suits you. Um, or C, do you spend absolutely ages doing all the research looking it all up on imdb trying to find out when the best window of opportunity is to get the kids in bed get back drop off the babysitter and still be in bed by 10 30 is that your vibe um so a b or c in the room show of hands um question three um you get to the gym and you find that your body pump class has been replaced with zumba oh no um, so what do you do? A, do you stick around and give it a go because it might become your new fave thing? Um, do you just kind of try it out for 10 minutes, kind of feel a bit self-conscious and then think, no, this is not really my thing and just head home? 
Um, or do you just go straight home and sulk because your plans have been ruined and being changed without any warning at all? Last one. Uh, so question four, how would you bring some spark into your romantic relationship? Uh, would you A, run away and get hitched? There's no time like the present. B, plan a secret getaway. Or C, purchase some his and hers slippers because maybe they'll liven up your evening routine. Um, actually, I lied when I said that was the last one. There is one more. How easily do you change your mind? A, as easily as you change your hair colour, uh, slash nail colour, slash uh, the leadership of the Tory party. Um, B, you only change your mind depending on the topic. If it's serious, you like to kind of think things through. Or C, do you never change your mind? You like to think things through really carefully and once you've made a plan and a commitment, that is it. So I guess you have been kind of looking around at one another as we've gone through those questions and kind of taking in, ah, okay, you're an A kind of a girl. Oh, you're a B kind of a guy. Um, I think when I did this quiz, I think I landed around Bs. Um, and don't worry, we are going to look at the Bible this morning. We haven't kind of turned into some kind of pop quiz show. Uh, but the reason I wanted to do that is just to show we're all so different, aren't we? The way we respond to changes in circumstances, the way we respond to a change in plans is so different. And Jesus loves us um, any which way, whether you were mostly A, Bs or Cs. Um, but actually, regardless of how much you like a plan, how much you don't like a plan changing, actually there's something quite deep within all of us that does want to know plans to some degree, whether that's what are we having for dinner, what we're going to do at the weekend, maybe where we're going to live next year. Um, that can kind of change uh, depending on our personality, how important that is to us. But when we are struggling, when we are suffering, when we're going through hard times, we all want to know the plan. We all want to know the out. We all want to know how long is this going to go on for. And the passage we're looking at this morning is a record of a conversation between God and a man called Habakkuk, a prophet, that is somebody who heard from God. And Habakkuk loved God, but he was living in a time of national crisis and suffering, and he was going to do so for the rest of his life. And he's really struggling to find God in his current situation. He wanted to know the plan. He wanted to know how are things going to work out? When are things going to work out? He wanted answers from God. Things were just not making sense. You see, the nation of Israel and Habakkuk was um, from Israel. The nation of Israel had been given incredible promises by God. Nearly 1500 years before Habakkuk, God had spoken to the founding father of their nation, Abraham, who at that point was childless, and God had told them that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky, and that all the people of the earth were gonna be blessed through his children. Wow. What an incredible promise. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going to parents' evening and someone saying, your kid is going to be a blessing to the entire world? You would be like blown away. Well, fast forward 500 years from that, and God has not just given Abraham a child, but like he said, God, uh, Abraham's family has become a nation, a nation that is massive, it's now living in Egypt. In fact, they've become so big that the Egyptians are threatened um, by their presence. 
And so they've been enslaved and God has to rescue the Israelites. He leads them with Moses out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the desert. He takes them to the promised land and then he makes a covenant with them, an unbreakable binding promise. He promises that he is going to bless them if they will follow him with all of their heart, if they choose to trust him and follow him. Sounds good to me. But instead of listening to God, instead of choosing to trust in him, God's people, the Israelites, turn away from him and they begin to worship false gods. They worship wooden idols, statues, demonic spirits and corruption sets in. Corruption abounds over the years and years to come. Kings come and go. And about a hundred years before we pick up the story of Habakkuk, the superpowers of the day, the Assyrians, have come and, and invaded Israel. So by the time we get to the story of Habakkuk, Israel is a complete mess. Corruption in leadership is rife. Social just injustice, exploitation, violence and abuse abound. This was when Habakkuk was living. The promises that God had made about this nation are nowhere near being fulfilled. And so in chapter one of Habakkuk, Habakkuk brings all his anguish, his pain, his complaints and his questions to God. And by the way, this is a really good thing to do. I mean, Habakkuk quite literally asks God, how long are you going to let this go on? And God answers him by saying, I'm going to bring an end to corruption by raising up the Babylonians, who were the most vicious military power of the day. And they are going to invade and they are going to purge Israel of, <laughs> of evil. I mean, this would be like um, being told that, that God is going to send, say, the Russians um, to England to, to purge our nation of corruption. This is not good news in Habakkuk's mind. And so unsurprisingly, Habakkuk questions this. He brings another complaint. He's like, how is that a good thing? God, what are you doing? How can you send them to us? Surely they are worse than us. And this is where we pick up the conversation today. Let's read Habakkuk 2 verses 1 to 4. If you can't find it in your Bibles, don't panic. Just go to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, which is the first book um, in the New Testament. Flick back a few pages and you'll find Habakkuk there. Habakkuk says this, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright but the righteous person will live by his faith. So what, what is going on here? Habakkuk is wrestling with frustration, heartbreak and questions. He doesn't understand God's plan to send the Babylonians, but in his heart, he longs to trust in God. And he goes on an emotional journey. He's on a journey to embrace genuine faith. And the question for us today is how can we, like Habakkuk, do the same? How can we, like him, learn to live by faith 
in seasons of darkness, in seasons of suffering, and live with seasons of unfulfilled promises. What can we learn from Habakkuk? What do we see in him? Well, what we see in Habakkuk is a man who was willing to wait. Habakkuk was a man who lived by faith, and like him, we need to be willing to wait. Now, most of us don't like waiting. <laughs> we don't like waiting for the kettle to boil. We don't like waiting for the weekend to come. We don't like waiting for the lights to change, the traffic lights. It's like, come on, if the poor person in front of us hasn't immediately got into gear, man, the honking comes pretty quick, doesn't it? Everything is instant nowadays, isn't it? Instagram, Snapchat, there's speed dating. A recent article in the Daily Mail said that the sale of teapots had actually dropped by 40% in the last five years as the nation has shifted to tea bags and mugs. It's just quicker. Habakkuk shows us how to wait. We don't like doing it. Habakkuk shows us though how to wait. Habakkuk waits with expectation. Now God has told Habakkuk that he's going to send the Babylonians to purge the Israelites of corruption and this is not the solution that Habakkuk wanted or understood and so he has poured out a second complaint. But then he declares this in verse 1 of our reading today. He will stand, he will station himself, he will look to see what God will say again. He says, I will stand, I will station myself, I will look to see what God will say to me. Habakkuk is speaking metaphorically. So cities at that time had watchtowers in prominent vantage points in the city so that lookouts could see who was coming and what was on the horizon. Habakkuk is saying he is going to station himself in a place where he can fix the gaze of his heart onto what God is saying to him. He doesn't understand what is happening, but he fully expects God to speak again. And he is not going to leave his post until he gets an answer. When we are struggling, it is so easy for fear and lies to get our ear. God isn't really good. He doesn't really love you. He's not going to come through. There's a real danger in interpreting our situation through the lens of our culture rather than God's words. And so in seasons of divine delay, we need to position ourselves in a place where we can hear God speaking so we can get a bigger perspective, so we can get God's perspective. We need to run to the watchtower and we need to wait in the keep with the expectation that God will speak to us in every situation. The psalmist writes this, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. So I wanna ask you this morning, where is the gaze of your heart? In times of difficulty, where do you run to? If you're experiencing hardship right now, where have you positioned yourself? Are you looking to God's word to give you answers, to give you perspective, to get you through? Are you looking to God's word? Are you coming to God with your requests? Are you waiting for him? Are you bringing your prayers to him? We don't know how long Habakkuk has to wait for God's reply, 
But when it comes, God says this, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God is saying, write down what I'm going to tell you is going to happen to the nation and to the Babylonians. A time has been set for both judgment and deliverance, but its fulfillment is going to linger. So you are going to need to wait. And Habakkuk tells, um, sorry, God tells Habakkuk to write down his words because he wants Habakkuk to be really clear about what God has said. Because in almost impossible circumstances and in anticipation of worse to come, but in light of ancient and now new promises, Habakkuk is told, you need to hold on to my word and you need to wait some more. Habakkuk is being asked to wait patiently. God has said that his revelation awaits an appointed time to be fulfilled. The Hebrew word for appointed time is moed. It means the unstoppable timing of God. If it is not God's time, you cannot make something happen. But if it is God's time, nothing can stop it from happening. When God speaks, he will act. Maybe you're here today and you are waiting for God to bring you relief from depression, from debt, from sickness. Maybe you're waiting for God to provide you with a job, a child, or maybe you're waiting for God to bring back a prodigal. When I was 12 years old, I um, went to a church service that was not at my home church. My dad was the pastor at my home church. I went to an evening service. There was a visiting speaker and um, there was a lady there who, um, who prayed for me and she had a picture for me of a garden. Um, and she said, I've got a picture of a garden and I think that this picture represents your family. And in this picture, the garden is being dug over, completely dug over. It looks like it's being destroyed. But God is the gardener and God wants to say to you, he is going to make your family into a beautiful garden. I thought, okay, that sounds good. Things at home weren't perfect. So that was, you know, that was a good word of encouragement. But what I didn't expect was what the next 15 years would have to offer. The next 15 years were just filled with heart, heartache, just heartache, heartbreak. My dad, who was a pastor, he left my mum. We ended up with nowhere to live because of that. My mum had to declare herself homeless, go to the homeless persons unit. We had nowhere to live. Uh, my mum remarried a man who actually was mentally ill. Um, we then had years where we had to work through mental illness, um, financial difficulty. There, there were battles with drug addiction and despair. Um, there were many years of pain and heartache in my family. And I would come to church and I would cry and cry in worship. And I would just say, God, you said, you said you were going to make my family into a beautiful garden. What is going on? 
What is going on when my, when my mum's second marriage ended? What is going on? When God has spoken, he will act. God's delays are not denials, but his ways are not our ways. And waiting is a tool God uses to transform our faith and teach us to be wholly reliant on him. It is actually a gift. My younger brother and his wife came at half term with their little baby, Finn. Um, and uh, when they went for their 20 week scan, Finn is four weeks old now, but when they went for their 20 week scan, they were told your baby is gonna die. We don't think that, that your baby is gonna live another week in fact. So would you like to have a termination now? And my sister-in-law and my brother said, no, we, we, we don't want that. We are gonna, we are gonna wait and see. We are gonna trust in God. We are going to wait. And then for the next, uh, well, it wasn't even 20 weeks, for the next 15 weeks, they went for a scan every single week, each week waiting to know whether their baby had died or not. But here he is now. They had to wait on God. That was a faith journey. But through that time, they came to know Jesus in a new and deeper way. Their faith grew and deepened. Waiting on God is like putting a seed in the ground. We have to choose to put a seed in the ground. It's like an active thing. Waiting patiently is an active thing. We have to put a seed in the ground, but then we have to wait. Waiting on God patiently means deliberately laying down the burden of deluded omniscience. We have to choose to lay down the assumption that we know best and trust that God is at work. He knows better. And he is working in a way that we can't see for our good, even when we can't see it. God is sovereign. He has overarching control of the universe. He is outside of time. He was there before the beginning of time. He is the one that will wrap up human history. He knows the beginning from the end. And it's not just that he has seen it all, it's that he has it all in the palm of his hand. And we can trust in his providence in his sovereignty, there is his providence, his care and his good plan for us in every detail of our lives. The details of our everyday lives are threads of a grand, great, huge and miraculous, beautiful story that God is weaving through mankind, through the ages, through history. God is at work. When God says, wait, we can trust that he will work it through. He is at work. You can imagine that when Habakkuk was told to wait, that he brought to mind the words of the nation's hero, King David in Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their evil schemes. And later, David writes this in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God, not the Assyrians, not the Babylonians, not your own kings, but I am God. Habakkuk needed to be still. He needed to remember, ah, oh, the Lord is God. When answers don't come quickly and God's ways don't make sense in our minds, we need to be still. But stillness doesn't come from knowing the plan, but by knowing the one who makes the plans. That is the essence of living by faith.
It says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We have to trust in the Lord. We have to know him. God says to Habakkuk in 2 verse 4, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk's enemies place their trust in themselves, in their own power, in their victories, in their own achievements. They lived according to what they could see. But God says to Habakkuk, your primary concern shouldn't be about how other people are living or knowing the details of how I'm going to work things out. Your primary concern should be about trusting in me. He tells Habakkuk that the righteous, those that are right with him, can be still, can live and are given life through faith. Faith in him at this point, but pointing to a time to come, faith in his son Jesus, who would bring an end to all injustice. These words, the righteous will live by faith, are quoted again in the book of Romans and Galatians and Hebrews. Hundreds of years later, St Paul writes in his letter to the Romans that not only do the righteous live by faith, but that righteousness is given through faith in Jesus. He writes that in Romans 3 verse 22. There is an unbreakable link between faith and life and righteousness. Faith itself isn't life-giving. Otherwise, it would be like, just try believing harder. Come on, just believe. Try, try, try. But faith is an instrument that unites us to Jesus, the one who came to make us right with God by rescuing us from our biggest enemy in life, ourselves, our sin, the belief that we know better than God, our sin, our failed attempts at being good, doing good, and being the God of our own life. Faith connects us to Jesus, the one who rescues us. It was faith that opened the eyes of the robber on the cross next to Jesus to see who Jesus really was. Jesus was crucified with two men, one either side of him. They are mocking him initially. But then one of the robbers realizes who Jesus is and puts his faith in him. It was faith. It was the faith of the paralysed man's friend that meant they made a hole in the roof where Jesus was speaking and, and uh, because they wanted to get their friend to him. It was the faith of, these, of this paralysed man's friends that, that meant that they would bust a hole in the roof and lower their friend through the roof so that he could be brought to Jesus and be healed and forgiven. It was the faith of the woman with incessant bleeding that meant she pushed through the crowd to touch the cloak of Jesus and be healed. It was faith that caused the robber to see. It was to see Jesus. It was faith that caused the friends to bring their crippled friend to Jesus. It was faith that meant the woman with bleeding touched Jesus. The righteous can live by faith because faith connects us to Jesus. And Jesus came to give life, a life free from fear, free from guilt and self-reliance. John writes this, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If you don't know Jesus, you can step towards him this morning and you can be given a new life. You can be made right with God. That is a life worth living, a life where you have peace with your maker, where you do not fear meeting him, but you know that your life is in the hands of someone greater than you, someone who is for you, someone who sent his son Jesus to rescue you. Maybe you are struggling to trust God in your current situation, but Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So we can come to him, even if our faith is tiny, even if we feel like our faith is flickering. It says in the Bible that um, God will not snuff out a smouldering wick. He won't do that. If you come to Jesus, even with a flicker of faith, he will meet with you. Jesus wants you, if you are struggling right now to trust God in your current situation, he wants you to know him more fully. It's not that he wants you to know the details of the answers, he wants you to know the person who is the answer. He wants you to know Jesus as your saving brother, the one who you can experience and know by the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit so that we could know his presence with us in our lives, in our situation right now. Just as God had told Habakkuk, the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. But it was then that he said this to his people through the prophet Jeremiah, and these are really famous words. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to bless you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Walking by faith means events don't need to determine or dictate the decisions we make or the direction we take in life. Walking by faith means we don't need to know all the answers, we don't need to have all the answers. Walking by faith doesn't mean that we feel on top of the world all the time or that we feel totally connected to God or we feel like everything is okay. Walking by faith means that we put our trust again and again in the utter goodness of Jesus. We put our hand in his, the one who gave himself entirely for us so that we could be made right with God. So I'm just gonna finish now and um, I would just like to invite um, everybody to respond. I just feel like there's kind of three groups of people that God really wants to minister to this morning. I feel like there are people that, um, that need to come to Jesus this morning and just need to repent. That means to turn away from just that, um, the sin of thinking you know better, thinking that your timing is better than God's timing, thinking that your answers are better than God's answers. And maybe there's an issue you've been grappling with and it's not that you've been saying, God, how long? It's that you're saying, God, why are you doing it this way? And um, God really loves you. He's so for you, but he wants to remove that burden from you. It is exhausting um, trying to be the one that has got all the answers. I also feel like there's people here this morning who feel like their faith has been bruised and Jesus just wants to come and minister to your heart. He wants to draw close to you. He loves your flickering flame of faith and he just wants to come and uh, pour out his grace and love on you this morning. He wants you to know him with you 
And also, I just feel there may be people here today who don't know Jesus at all. You've never put your trust fully in him. Um, this is a moment now where you can step towards him. Um, so I'm just going to finish there and um, I know that the guys um, with you are going to just lead you in a time of meeting with God. Um, God bless you all.